This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Driving Outcomes, your source for inspired solutions to address the most pressing leadership concerns of today. On each episode, we examine the latest developments in applied research and education and how it impacts your business and social outcomes. Our host, Tracy Shirachi, brings you conversations with groundbreaking researchers, educators, and business leaders who are changing the face of leadership every day. And now, here's Tracy. Hi, everyone. This is Tracy, and I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Shubra Das. Uh, Dr. Das is the head of Professor of Mechanical Engineering, and he is at the University of Detroit Mercy. And Dr. Das, I was wondering if you could share with the audience a little bit about yourself, um, your work, and your department, and the school, just so that individuals can become more familiar with, um, aside from it being located in Detroit, like what, what do you do and um, what's going on in your world in terms of um, the pandemic and the school? Great, thank you. Thank you, Tracy, um, for, for inviting me today. Um, yeah, to just a very quick introduction about myself. You know, as, as you said, my name is Shubra Das. Um, I am a professor of mechanical engineering at University of Detroit Mercy. I've worked here now for 26 years. Um, I started sometime in 1994, if I remember right. Uh, and, um, you know, I started as a junior faculty member in the, in the department. And then just like any other academic place, people go up the ranks. And at some point in time, um, you know, I, I got interested in um, doing administrative stuff because, um, you know, um, people feel that they may, didn't, you know, they can make changes by, by getting into administration and, and, things. So I worked as, um, as um, the chair of the department for, for a short time. And then for about six years, I was associate dean for research and outreach for the College of Engineering and Science. And um, I also, for about um, eight, nine years, I have worked on um, our effort on uh, recruiting, retention, and educating international students. So I served as a director until very recently as uh, uh, for the international programs in our college. Um, so, um, you know, obviously in administration, you have to deal with a lot of, um, you know, very challenging situations and handle things, et cetera. So those, uh, you know, aside from those, I learned a lot about, um, about how things work. Mm -hmm. uh, in academia, um, that a typical faculty member who teaches and does research um, doesn't get to see. So I, I, I have realized that I have a richer experience as a result of that. Um, a little bit about, um, you know, our school in the context of Detroit, where we are. Um, so, um, um, you know, if you look up the map of Detroit, you know, the city, um, you know, the, the south uh, sort of southeastern part of the city is the Detroit River. So it's on the banks of Detroit River. On the other side of it is Windsor, Canada. Um, but most of the city actually expanded, um, you know, south of that, east of, I'm um, rather west of that, and north of that. So we are about um, six miles north of downtown. Um, in fact, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the roads here are 
um, or some of them are, are named six mile road, seven mile road, eight mile road, etc. Um, so there's a there's a fairly well known film called Eight Mile, I think, um, which, is, uh, which was filmed in Detroit um, and and uh, fairly well known. Um, so that refers to the eight mile road here. Um, so we are we are um, physically located at six mile and Livernois. Livernois being one a, a very well known north south street here. Um, um, but, um, you know, we are a private Jesuit um, university and there are uh, 23 Jesuit schools all across the U.S. You know, some of the well-known ones are Boston College and, you know, Georgetown and St. Louis University, etc. So we, typically you'll find that they, they, they build these things in urban areas because of the mission that they have in educating urban Population, so we we take pride in the fact that um, you know we are serving the urban urban community, and um, you know Detroit has a rich history and also a checkered history, um, very well connected with the you know the automotive industry. Um, so because of our location and proximity to automotive industry, we are very well connected, um, particularly um, you know our our engineering school and our business school. Are have very strong relationships with the with the automotive industry. And I was going to ask you: Is that like predominantly the focus in mechanical engineering for you yourself and as a school or research area because of the location in Detroit to the automobile industry? And and at the same time, if I'm if I'm accurate in this, I think was it Magic Johnson? There was a whole initiative right in building out Detroit and. Yeah especially as we emerged out of the last recession. And so interested to hear, like, does some of the work relate to that as well or not? Yeah, I, I mean, um, I'm not very sure if Magic Johnson, although Magic Johnson is from Michigan, um, so he has, he, he went to school at Michigan State, um, you know, and, and um, I'm not familiar if he had any initiative. Um, Jalen Rose, uh, who is another basketball player, he had initiatives out of Detroit, um, and, um, you know, the Detroit, um, um, Detroit went through um, a bankruptcy procedure, as you know, um, a few years ago, and it was, it was sort of completed in a fairly record time, given mm-hmm. that it went through bankruptcy. And yeah. it has, you know, since then, there has been a lot of um, good news coming out of Detroit. I mean, we have a very effective and efficient and, um, you know, a successful mayor, um, you know, after many <laughs> cycles of poor administrative leadership in the city. So I think we have, uh, you know, the general feeling is we have turned the corner and we have done, uh, we, are, we are doing great work right now in the city. I mean, there has been a lot of um, revival in terms of uh, new construction. Industry, right. And I think like the, especially the core industries of the United States in terms of automobile industry being one of those um, main industries. So curious to know if like a lot of your work or the school's work relates to that and that for lack of better description, regentrification of and revitalization. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, are we, uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, depending on the fields you are in, I mean, um, you know, we we have um, we have a school of architecture, we have a, a dental school, like you know, 
Um, interestingly, there are only two dental programs in the state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. And one of them is at, well, the bigger one is at University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. And the only other one is at our university. Um, so our dental school is very well known. And um, one of the things that they do is that they have a clinic um, which is very, very um, heavily used by uh, the, the population in the city. So, so they serve the lower income, middle income people in the neighborhood. That's part of the mission of the university and, and part of their mission as well. Uh, similarly, you know, the engineering college, because we are engineering, we are working very closely with the automotive industry and the supplier base, um, you know, not only, um, well, you know, because of our location, most of our graduates can get to work there. We work on projects, you know, related to their, you know, the activities there. But we also do something interesting, which most schools don't get into, is like we have historically... Uh, started and 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 provided programs, you know, which are customized for the needs. I mean, as an example, in 2008, 9, and 10, during the downturn and the early days of the Obama administration, there was a lot of push for electrification of the automotive. I mean, you know, you saw the Teslas coming yeah, out. Teslas, and there's another um, competing company too, yeah. And and but but um, you know the traditional automotive world also did a lot of work, and they they came out with uh, you know hybrid hybrid electric vehicles, and um, at that time the industries which um, had a need for sort of retraining, re-educating their existing workforce because they were switching over to this traditional gasoline burning, uh-huh. you know, driven. Um, you know, driven cars into this electrification. So these people, you know, the, the overwhelming employees or, or the number of employees are experts in the automotive world. They're not experts in the electrification world. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we were able to, with, um, with input from Ford, uh, you know, start a new program on training these people. These were like, you know, a graduate level, five course certificate program, but to train the people who knew cars very well, but to 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 in the electrification world. Um, so so that's just one example of the many things we get to do uh, in partnership with the automotive industry, not just in the research world, but in the education world. And and they have been very um, you know very happy with what we could provide. And it's a, it's a very very good partnership. Um, similarly, you know, our, our college of, um, or rather school of architecture does a lot in the world of, you know, the inner city planning and revitalization. They work with the city organizations, both nonprofits and, you know, government organizations on, you know, city revitalization, which is a big deal here. I mean, right now, Detroit has a huge landmass, you know, mm-hmm. borders, but sparse population or, or locations where, you know, there aren't too many uh, density populations. So th- that's, um, those are unique challenges of the city and, and, um, and School of Architecture does a lot of work. So I, these are some examples of how we are sort of connected to the city and how, you know, what we get to do with the, um, with the city. Well, and I think what you're highlighting is kind of like urban revitalization as one piece industry revitalization, but also even a third piece, what you're highlighting is the innovation 
that's necessary and the partnership between um, education and industry together in order to innovate and to evolve. So the example you give with electrification, you know, I, I think people have to step back. Even I had to step back as you were talking. I was like, hey, that's true. Before, like how cars were made and how they were constructed is completely different than how we've evolved in terms of mass producing electric cars now where you have hybrid cars, a Toyota, whatever it may, different car manufacturers. And that requires a whole different skill set of practitioners that understand that. But it also stems back to you know, higher education in terms of what are people learning to be prepared for industry. And so that feedback loop has to consistently go on. Otherwise, we're not providing the right workforce. And I think that's interesting right now, especially given the pandemic environment is how how are you seeing that evolve or change for you as a school, but also the in terms of engineering and in terms of industry, right? Because you know, for a lot of individuals, everyone's aware of the pandemic and, and the economic impact, not only nationally, but globally, but certain industries are being affected in different ways, as well as different um, schools, as well as a preparation for the next generation of leaders and prof- working professionals. And so in particular with the automobile industry, since you know more about that, are they typically they're still producing cars, but they're doing it, I don't know, I'm going to guess maybe six feet apart, but then the operations is different and the productivity is different, I can only imagine. And then at the same time, as students are being prepared for that, as one of the main industries of where they're going to work, how do they prepare in a lab? Or are you guys doing things in a lab? Or is it still like lecture is virtual, but Yes, and labs need to be in person because you need to physically touch and build things, right? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, all those are, um, you know, uh, um, you know, great questions in the, you know, which are extremely relevant and things that we are, and by we we mean I just don't mean us in my university. It's like the entire educational community is handling or, or grappling with. And and those are great questions and and interestingly you know um, and th- this is um, this is pre-COVID. I mean, one of my research areas was um, to look at you know how the engineering curriculum ought to evolve to 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 be more current with the current times. Um, and, and we were working on this or, you know, but COVID, what COVID did was put it on a fast track um, because almost overnight- For a lot of us that, and COVID just accelerated every plan you were thinking of or dreaming of made it happen in 24 hours. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and the thing is, there are lots of things like, you know, in your line of work, in my line of work, we are finding that there were lots of things that we felt that cannot be done uh, you know, we figured out a way to do it. I mean, maybe not the exact same way, but, um, you know, um, maybe sometimes better and sometimes not as well. And, but but there was like a lot of innovation that happened in a hurry. Um, but going back to your question, which I think, you know, was a research question that we were grappling with, um, is, um, you know, it comes from the fact that, um, you know, the, the change in technology is happening at a very rapid pace. I mean, we all know, 
we are we are sort of consumers of technology so we know it's happening at a very rapid pace and it is that pace is you know we call it in our world we call it exponential pace um you know um since you all deal with numbers and things like that you know exactly what you mean um but it is much faster than it used to be all right uh however um uh, and in in the industrial world um new employees or or new engineers for that matter are expected to know sort of uh, everything about everything kind of thing like right like there's um, a the technical people if, if someone doesn't understand something technical coming from it, a family of engineers i would my father is you know mechanical engineer i'd be like ask dad everything <laughs> but we found uh, i mean we we know that you know the traditionally the the engineering field is divided into this disciplines uh, and i call them silos because that's how academia is like they're mechanical the electrical computer the- science engineering exactly. electrical engineering civil engineering yeah exactly. but in reality in the actual world the, that difference is breaking down or has broken down because it's if you multidisciplinary or going across the disciplines multidisciplinary so we we sometimes you know laughingly call you know the vehicles of today are really computers running on gasoline um so you know <laughs> it's That's like true. that is what your you you get into a new car today and there's no longer the like physical parts that it used to be it's now electrical electrical components exactly exactly and and however we still are training engineers in traditional ways like you know the if you go back and look across the country and across the world you look at programs and they are still those um, you know 50 year old uh, you know disciplines and our focus or work was one number look at is this still relevant and and the answer is no, no. <laughs> but the bigger question is nobody has a clear idea what we should do because because technology is growing so fast i mean you know and academia doesn't you know change that change or evolve as quickly as the professional field typically right typically. and on top of that you throw in um you know this world of distance learning or now it as an effect of covid everybody is forced to distance learn so how do you the questions that you asked earlier how do you do hands on work how do you do um, you know lab work how do you do production or manufacturing if you know all you have is distance learning um so that that's that was sort of you know it was moving in that direction but that was sort of happened in a hurry it you know it it fell on us uh, because of the uh, of the covid situation so how and, did you guys address it i'm curious i mean it's constantly evolving like you know i think the acceleration of people rolling out um content or um information virtually through a virtual exchange has only accelerated but to your point like some of those things no matter how fast you adapt to a virtual environment you're losing really important information and education by nature of needing to interact in person or touch things absolutely absolutely and it's an exper- it's an ongoing experiment is what i i like to say because we are constantly trying to work on it figure out what is what works better than what i was doing yesterday um so obviously you know typical content that used to be provided in the form of a lecture you know face to face when you know went online 
you know, that just, that just went online, you know, virtual, you know, synchronous, asynchronous. Um, the, the part that took a big hit is that classroom face-to-face interaction. Like, you know, looking at a person's eyes, you know, a student's eyes and getting, you know, you know feedback automatically. And, and that has taken a big hit. That has taken a big hit. Um, the part, the thing that has taken a big hit from a student perspective is that students go to college for more than classroom instruction. Oh, yeah. to- like it's learning from other people, exactly. other cultures, other geographic areas, all of that. Yep. Absolutely. So that is, that has taken a big hit. And, um, you know, students, particularly freshman students, have had a hard time, I know, uh, dealing with that. Because these kids are coming straight out of high school. Mm-hmm. Some of them didn't even have a graduation, too. The graduation. They didn't have um, something. And they were thrown in college. They, you know, obviously, kids look at college as like, you know, this sudden freedom that I'll do whatever I want on campus kind of. Now you can't. <laughs> and say you got to, you got to sit in your dorm and just go online to take your classes, and um, you know that that was a struggle for lots of students, and uh, you know we we um, we all you know had to experiment in in the connectivity part, and and as I said, you know there is no single solution. There is um, lots of um, experiments, I would say, lots of trials, and and some of that work better than the other. Um, And then your question about what about face-to-face stuff, like experimental work or lab work, and and people did different things. You know, some people did socially distanced lab, like, you know, students still came in, but they were socially distanced in doing, you know, work. Um, in a lot of our work is group based, so socially distance is even harder because you know you have to do something in lab with your partner or two partners, etc. So um, you know what we try to do is um, you know have students take turns, like some of them come one day and turn on a Zoom meeting, and and one person is physically doing it, the others are watching over Zoom, and then That's the hard. Next- yeah, the next time around, like working on something like and somebody's trying to physically see what you're doing, which yeah. I mean, right now we're just talking to each other and looking at each other. And I can only imagine in lecture that's hard enough. You don't know who's paying attention, who's not, who got the information, who didn't. But to physically be trying to watch what someone's doing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is that is very, very hard. Um, and and. You know, the thing is, um, you know, that that part, I can tell you, um, you know, even post-COVID, I, I, I think post-COVID, a couple of things will happen. One is, um, you know, the, the physical part, we will probably immediately go back to doing it the old way. But the, the lecture kind of part, I think we will be in a world where a lot more people would be open to doing it, you know, online or, or virtual. What I found, because, you know, my wife works for Ford Motor Company as an engineer, um, and she and and the entire engineering people, those who are not on the shop floor, they're doing the engineering, the design, et cetera, they have been working from home 100% since last March. And, and currently they've been told, like, at least till end of summer, 
plan on doing that and possibly in future. So that part of the workforce and, and they did fine. I mean, they, and they don't they, interact with like the production or they don't interact with any aspect of that. So they can do it remotely. Right. They can do it remotely. And, and what these large companies are suddenly faced with is they have all these real estate, you know, huge. Mm-hmm. Big- oh yeah. Like campuses. Of- in fact, Ford was, was in the process of, you know, rebuilding parts of that, like, you know, redesigning, having large parking structures, parking space, redesigning their format and, you know, open office, et cetera. And suddenly everybody has gone home and and probably they will continue to do this because for them, the advantages clearly outweigh the disadvantage. I mean, you know, they, they are getting employees who wake up, let's say, at six in the morning and don't have to drive an hour to get to work. They just mm-hmm. go, go and sit on your computer, start work. And I think if anything, people are seeing the opposite effect where we're just getting burnout because people then, are on all the time or you know, I think also because everyone's at home and you can't necessarily go out and do stuff, people almost find this excuse to be on the, you know, there's this weird dynamic that's at play right now. But the the thing I'm curious about is what impact will this have on the students? So oftentimes we're trying to evaluate or understand like what is not only the industry impact, right? Or what is the relationship between education and preparation for workforce, but also the educational impact of somebody not being properly prepared for industry because let's say they've lost something. And I think what you've acknowledged is for a lot of students who are in their final years of let's say high school and now transitioning to college, or for a lot of students that are in college and university environments that are transitioning to the workforce, there is something at stake that they're losing something. And it's not only just the experience, it's the social education piece as well as the formal education piece. And there is an expectation though for industry that somehow, right? Because like you said, industry may be working at home, people are on computers, like people should be able to perform and be just as productive as they have in the past. And there shouldn't be this change, even though there has been a physical change going on. But industry, I think, is slow to acknowledge that impact of such. So right. what could that be, though? Because these students may or may not be, just to be honest, properly prepared for industry, aside from it being a totally different environment where academia is different than when you go work for a company. That's one type of change for all of us to face. And we've all gone through that. But there's another piece where they've gone through this COVID environment that has restricted some of their movements and their ability to absorb information in a certain way. So what does that, you know, what does that look like? And maybe that relates a lot more to the evaluation because we're more involved in that aspect of measuring what that potential impact could be and trying to, and trying to anticipate that, but Mm -hmm. curious to hear what you're seeing or observing amongst students and yeah, nine months. I, I, I would, um, you know, well, I'll start out by saying there are uh, there are really two types of students that we can we can separate them into like two categories. Um, one is student who are you know older, mature in an advanced course. Let's say senior level, 
graduate level students or professional students. And I bring in professionals because we get a lot of professional students who are working during the daytime, working full time and taking classes at night. Um, for this group, this they are benefiting for the advantages of distance learning because they, they can manage it more easily, probably, right? Their life is busier. They are a little more mature. Uh, they are in it to like grab the material and go and do other stuff. You know, they, their life is busy. They want to do, they have too much going on. And, and they love the fact that they don't have to drive to campus after work to be in a face-to-face classroom with the teacher. They can just turn the computer on and then and, and do that. Do what in they fact, need to do, meet yeah. with you if they need to meet with you. <laughs> yep. They, they were sort of clamoring for something like this. So, so for that group who are otherwise, I mean, you know, who are in, in a course or who are in classes just for that purpose, you know, they, they benefit a lot from the advantages of the distance learning or remote learning. The group that is the, the younger population, which is the freshman, sophomore kind of students, who are new, who are in, you know, who need the college experience, who need the socialization, who need to learn time management or who need, you know, personal contact a lot more. For that group, um, you know, I think the jury is still out because, um, you know, they, I think in general, people who, you know, the instructors have all been very understanding and and open, etc. But, you know, I'll give you some examples, um, you know, when, when you are assigning work or when you are, you know, expecting them to do certain things or, or even take an exam, you know, a lot of times things happen that would not happen in a face-to-face situation. Like, you know, the Wi-Fi goes down or, or a student is in a household where he doesn't have a good, good connectivity. Yeah right? Or, or a very busy household, like there are five, you know, siblings who are sharing two computers and, and they are sort of, there's something like that happening in the background. So, so all those things play a role. And we as instructors have, have been very, you know, trying to be very understanding. As a result, what happens is, you know, from your evaluation standpoint, um, you know, um, is it uh, is the learning or 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 the skill build up i would say is the skill build up happening the same way as we used to happen um probably not probably not and and that that question is out there i would also also throw a caveat on that i think that gives us you know i you know i am philosophically um you know very much in favor of skill assessment rather than exam taking assessment Uh, even though I use that because that's traditionally what is used because I think there is a difference between you know skill development versus you can take an exam right take a test memorize the like answers but then the application and the like level of like you said skill and ability to apply and adapt those skills in different circumstances that is difficult to be able to test in your traditional exam. Right. And, and there is another uh, aspect to it. Like, you know, when you, when, when we suddenly turn it on our head, on its head and say, you know, we are going to actually 
evaluate skill development, let's say, then we would, you know, you think of the case of you're trying to teach your child how to ride a bike, right? And you don't do it by setting a test one day and if your kid you falls fail or you succeed. <laughs> your kid falls over, you know, a couple of times and then get up and go, you don't say that, oh, you passed with a C, right? You know, you either build the skill or you work on it until you get there. If you look at it from the same perspective, I think I think the evaluation type of a question. Um, be, can be turned on its head right now and say, are we evaluating their skill level? And and if we were fo- if we are focused on building skills, then we should be focused on that. Then we shouldn't mm-hmm. focus on whether they are cheating in the exam or not, right? Because one of one of the things I was going to mention is a lot of my colleagues are extremely worried and and try very hard to stop students students from cheating in an online exam, and and it's not easy to do. And, and I like to ask the question, is, is that even needed? Um, I mean, why don't, we, why don't we start judging on them on their skill development, which is what really they need? Well, and that's really what they're trying to, like, if you were to think about it from a funder's perspective or the federal government's perspective as a fund initiatives, they really are looking at building workforce development using taxpayer dollars. So with that in mind, right, where they're building industry and they're trying to use community dollars to do that and fund the research and the education piece to develop industry and jobs, workforce development, they are actually looking at skill development to your Mm -hmm. example, because that's what they know is really going to um, create jobs and make people successful in the jobs and, and create industry and create that level of commitment. But but to your point, like you said, in terms of traditional education, right, the system that we have, my five year olds learning that in kindergarten, like, did you get did you get all the answers correct or did you get the answers incorrect? Right. And it's not that progression of improvement. But yet on the flip side, when you talk about industry and companies and what they're talking about, we talk about this internally as a company. Are you learning from your mistakes? Do you have a mindset of improvement? Do you, are you open to learning, right? That's all skill development once again, only it's not aligned with our education system to be perfectly frank, right? And so it's that realignment that I think we all have an opportunity right now in the pandemic, like you said, where we've reached this ex- this acceleration point, but acknowledging kind of our pitfalls or our gaps, we have an opportunity to realign mm-hmm. and to hopefully better align all of these different pieces together. Yeah. At least yeah. I hope. And I hope that that's where everybody's on the same page around that is even though it's a little chaotic, it's yeah. a little overwhelming, it's a little uncertain. We also have a huge opportunity to realign all of it. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I, um, I, I, the other thing that I think is happening, which is not a good thing, and which I think we need to look for a solution, is that mental health of everybody involved is is taking a toll. And and setting that aside for a minute, uh, you know, uh, what you said is absolutely right. Is is that, um, you know, it gives us an opportunity to rethink the models that we are sort of married to for forever and say, this is the model that I need to follow. Oh, years and years. We've been doing that, right? Like we tout higher education as, and it, and it's, 
And it is true. Like it has given people opportunity. It's given us advancements, given us all these benefits. So I don't think we say that it's not those things, right? But it's also acknowledging where, what are we missing or what could we do differently? But I know I could talk for hours and hours with you, Dr. Doss and Ben about this because obviously I'm passionate about ensuring that we are effective and we achieve these alignments and we're all working for the same common goal of community and and industry and education. So, but just wanted to take this time and thank you, Dr. Doss, for joining us on this podcast and for sharing a lot more about your work um, and look forward to hopefully having a continued session in the future. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for inviting me. And it was a pleasure, you know, as you can see, if you, if you give me the microphone, I will, won't stop talking. So. <laughs> You're perfect. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Driving Outcomes. If you'd like to listen to or download other episodes of Driving Outcomes, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast networks. Please also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn as The Mark USA. We hope you'll join us again next week for more conversations with today's leaders who are driving for results and achieving phenomenal business outcomes. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.